0: Lynn, thank you so much uh, for helping out with the service this morning. Um, I'm gonna open us up in a word of prayer before we read the word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the 4th of July to celebrate uh, the freedom that you've given us as a nation and our independence. and Lord, our liberty and so many good things. Lord, I think about the, the power words that were written in our constitution, all men are equal and made in the image of God, and, and Lord, have a, we have the pursuit of happiness for all those things, and uh, so Lord, we pray this morning, because we know that we we fall short in some of those areas, and we need to continue to grow in those areas, and so Lord, Lord, as we worship you this morning in song, as we worship you in giving, now we worship you by going to your that you would change us this morning. We pray that you would use your word. Not, not that we would not just be hearers of the word. That we would be doers of the word. That we would apply it into our lives. And so we give you the glory. Be with us now. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, we're going to take a break for the Book of Philippians this morning, and um, we're going to go to the Book of Ephesians. And um, I've titled this message God's Call to Unity, and so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter four and focus on the verses one to six this morning. So if you can turn your Bibles there to Ephesians four, uh, and we'll start with verse one. Uh, first, uh, this focus, as I said, is is God's call to unity, uh, and it's an interesting thing about unity. It's 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 not something uh, that's easy uh, to maintain, and, and I remember uh, talking to. Pastor Dale Davenport. Pastor Dale served as our interim at one time in our church, and we used to talk about uh, the importance of unity, and he, he talked to me frankly and honestly and said, boy, we have a hard time with that in our Baptist churches, and I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I've seen churches split over the color of the carpet, you know, and, and just little little fickle things, and, and so I, I said, I joked with him, I said, Dale, I, I said, our, our people are just glad to have a carpet. I mean, you know, I don't mean, care what color it is, or you know, just praise God, the elders bought new carpeting, and we have it. And so, uh, but that's, that's the reality of unity. It's something that, that, we have to, that we have to work at, we have to fight for, and, and um, even, in our, even in the churches, we, of course, see uh, that lack of unity in the world as well. So I want to start out with our time just to talk about a little bit about the, the letter of Ephesians, give you a little background on it. The letter to the Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. And in the first three chapters, Paul explains what God has done for them in Christ. And he prays that they would understand and experience what God has done for them. And Paul explains to them how God, by his grace, has reconciled him to himself, and then to one another through the death of his son Jesus. And then Paul in chapter three, specifically explains how how God has brought Jew and Gentile believers into a new relationship together in the church and that he called the church to display his wisdom. And then finally, Paul in chapters 4 through 6, through many exhortations and commands, challenges them to live out what God has already done for them. And so that's where we're going to start today. I'm going to read verse 1 just a moment. Read it with me. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This verse tells us we need to live in a way that fits what God has done for us. Now, Paul identifies himself as a prisoner for the Lord. And perhaps he's hinting that our circumstances have little to do with enjoying what God has done for us. In other words, no matter what our circumstances may be, we are worthy of God's call on our lives as Christians and as the church. Our first point is that our conduct should be in balance with our calling, not our circumstances. I'll say that again. Our conduct should be in balance with our calling, not our circumstances. And so what Paul describes as our calling here summarizes what God has done for us in chapters 1 to 3. So Paul saying, We are called to live out what God has made us in Christ Jesus. So what has God done for us? I'm going to share some scriptures with you, starting with chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 3 says, He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4 says, He has chosen us to be holy and blameless in His sight. Verse 5 says, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus. It's not just that God saved us, He adopted us, as His very own, as His sons and daughters. So my question is, does your conduct fit your calling? In chapter 1 verse 13 it says, we are included in Christ and sealed with with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 verse 5 says, God has made us spiritually alive in Christ. And verse 6 of chapter 2 says, God has given us positions of spiritual authority in Christ. Does our conduct fit our calling? You know, there give you some crazy examples of this in the world where things don't just fit. I mean, you've heard the saying, "Jumbo shrimp, right? Shrimp are not that big, so even jumbo shrimp doesn't fit. And then, of course, you've heard the, the term gentleman's club. We know a gentleman's club is a strip joint. Right? It's not a gentleman's club at all. And so, going back to what I'm saying is our walk needs to match who God has called us to be. And so, does our conduct fit our calling? We need to, we need to see does that match up? Because you see, Christians sometimes say, they're not walking a the walk. They're talking, but they're not walking it. They're not living it out. So, what exactly fits this, fits with this calling on our lives? Well, Paul doesn't leave us guessing. In verse 2 he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What fits our calling is a character which generates unity. In the next two verses, Paul focuses in on unity among believers as a thing that fits God's calling in our lives. And so our experience of real unity depends on the development of Specific character qualities. In other words, unity doesn't happen on its own. We have to develop these qualities in our walk, these character qualities in our walk with the Lord. And there's two specific qualities and two related ways of interacting with others that are mentioned here. And they're written in, in, in two pairs. In each pair of the character qualities mentioned, first followed by the specific way this quality is to be lived out in our relationships. And the first pair is qualified by the word completely. He said, completely. Be completely humble agenda. and gentle." Paul speaks about being humble. Humility was regarded, I want you to know, at that time, in that, that place, in Ephesus, humility was regarded as dis- distasteful by the pagan world of Paul's day. Pride was more highly prized. It sounds somewhat like the world today, doesn't it? What's the opposite of humility? Well, it's pride, of course. And pride is the enemy of unity. Pride is what is behind most discord in in our relationships. Proverbs 13, 10 says pride only breeds quarrels. And so we must get rid of pride in our relationships with others. You might say, why? Well, because pride gets in the way. Pride says, I don't need to listen to you. I already know the answer. However, when we're willing to humble ourselves, when we are willing to listen to one another, to learn from one another, be gentle in a way that we would relate to one another, that's when we grow. James 1.19 says, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's why we have two years and one month, right? You've heard that before. And when I say listening, I'm not saying listening in the sense of waiting on our turn to speak. You know, sometimes we listen that way, where are like just waiting for you to finish up so I can put you in your place. I'm talking about truly trying to understand what the person is coming from, and being be open, be open-minded. We demonstrate this by affirming the views of others and their feelings. Elder Doug, uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm so blessed by him and and uh, just him partnering in this time in our leadership at this time in our church, and he's doing a wonderful job, and, uh, you know, he's leading our pastoral search team, and he, he said something at the uh, search team meeting that I thought really was important at our last meeting, and he just acknowledged that we, uh, at this time, as we get down to looking at some of the, the final candidates and look, taking these looks, that we're going to be in different places, that are going to be some that this is that their favorite person, and that, and so he just basically acknowledged, it's okay, to have a different view. You don't have to have my view. Uh, you don't have to have Pastor Jones' view or Mindy's view or whatever. We're allowed to have different views. And, and that was just a powerful statement. I really appreciated him for saying that. Going back to humility. Humility means that we'll stop assuming we are right and others are wrong. And uh, we need to admit, admit that we, we might be right, but we, we could be wrong. That's what humility is all about. And the reality is God isn't so much interested in my view as much as how I handle my view. Let me explain. How much unity is destroyed because we proudly assume that our way is the only right way and that if you don't agree with my way, then we have nothing to talk about. I've seen that. I've experienced that. And this kind of view can destroy relationships because me being right becomes more important than our relationship. And, you know, we see that in our nation today, don't we? You know, as I look at our nation, and I pray for our leaders all the time, um, we have never been so, um, the lack of unity, the disunity in our nation, we've never been so far apart as a nation. Uh, There's so much conflict. And we see both sides of the political spectrum opposite. They're polarized. And, 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 There's nobody in the middle. There's no moderates anymore. And so, you know, we're we're fighting against one another. And as Elder shared, you know, they couldn't even pass a bill um, regarding chokeholds as as, as a Congress right now. We're so divided at this time. And and now, praying for our nation, just God would bring us together. Um, Lately, they had on the World Health Organization, and they had a powerful statement that was directed both here to America and in other nations as well. But basically what they said is, we need to work together uh, with other nations, learning from what they've done and applying those things here. And so Japan was one of those places, South Korea was one of the places, Um, even Germany. Some of those places, they've done a really good job managing COVID-19 and said, rather than recreating the wheel and going in our own direction, we need to learn from others. So he said, this is a time, and we've done this in other pandemics, where it brought the world together, we worked together to solve the problem. And So I'm praying for that for our nation, I pray that you would pray that for our nation as well. But I also want to talk about our church. You know, as we move forward and we're preparing as a church to, to, to uh, reopen very soon. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the service. Um, but as we prepare for that, we're going to need to be in unity. There are going to be some sacrifices that we're going to need to make, and some people are going to want to do it, and others are not going to want to do it, but we're going to do it together for the good of the whole. And so that's, that's, that's part of what unity is. It's like we, we, you make sacrifices for the other person. And so I'm looking forward to that, and I'll share that later. Uh, moving on, it talks about gentleness. Uh, and gentleness means that I will not be rough and harsh in how I say things to others. A very often conflict happens not, not so much because of what we say, but because of how we say it. Proverbs 15.1 says it this way. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Many harsh words going on these days in our society. We see the anger and the violence that's happening because of it. The second quality Paul mentions as essential to unity is is patience. Patience that generates unity enables us to bear with one another in love. And bearing with one another literally means putting up with one another. And sometimes we need to do that. Uh, It says we don't need need to expect each other to be perfect. And so that that word literally translated patient literally means long-suffering and assumes that we're going to irritate one another, and cause each other pain sometimes. I know I've been uh, told you guys I'm getting ready to celebrate uh, 27 years of marriage. I know my wife, she bears with me sometimes, you know, because she's, she's as I said, she's heard the same jokes before. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we just get on, we get on each other's nerves, but we bear with one another. You're patient with one another. We need to do that in the body of Christ. And and unity doesn't mean, I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean there won't be differences of opinions or misunderstandings from time to time. But it means that we deal with those things in such a way that we don't allow them to divide us. That's what's important. You know, I I enjoy, you guys know from, uh, that know me, you know that I enjoy going fishing. I do enjoy it. It's one of those things that I do to relax and I love taking some friends fishing uh, with me and, and I've got many friends that I go with. have got um, one of my friends is Mark Goldsmith, and uh, he's of a different faith, Jewish faith, and great guy. I love him. Um, but you know, I go with people all the time, and, and we're we're different. And, and there's a temptation sometimes within us, I think, in the body of Christ, to withdraw from people that we disagree with. But but God is challenging me, and I think he's challenging you as well, to build deeper relationships with people who are different from us. We need to be able to reach beyond our comfort zone. If we just go with people that we know and that that are the same with us, we're not stretching. We're not getting stretched. We need to stretch ourselves. So we need to be willing to do that. Um, Verse 3, let's read verse 3 together. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Experiencing unity requires a strong, intentional effort by us. In other words, unity doesn't happen on its own. When Paul says, make every effort, the NASB version says, being diligent. So the picture here is that unity doesn't just happen, we have to work at it. And once we experience unity, we cannot assume it will continue. The word that is used here describes a strenuous exertion to protect the unity that God's Spirit gives us. This unity is described as the bond of peace. It expresses that sense of connection and harmony that we feel with those we never even met. We work at it by being humble, by being gentle, but yes, patient with someone that we might disagree with. And we work at it by being willing to first listen someone else's view on things and being open to even changing our view we need to ask the question am I open to understanding how you see things that's what we need to do and we work at it by being open being open to agree to even disagree it's okay as I said earlier we don't have to agree on everything our former pastor uh, pastor Dale Davenport used to say this we as believers as believers, it's perfectly okay to disagree, but we need to be able to disagree agreeably. We can disagree and still be friends. Amen. That's that's all he's saying. We don't we don't have to be mortal enemies when we disagree, and and that, that that's important in the body of Christ. The unity God gives us is an awesome blessing, but we need to understand it comes it comes at a high cost. It cost God His Son. Jesus died for that unity. Therefore, we as believers have a great responsibility to maintain it. And unity is one of the Holy Spirit's key roles, and the Holy Spirit leads us to unity. So, my question is are you willing to be led? I'll say that again. Are you willing to be led? It's significant that Paul mentions unity first in his call for Christians to live out what God has done in them. And it shows the priority of unity for the growth of the Christian life. The the things that Paul calls for in the rest of this chapter and the rest of this book cannot happen unless we are in unity with other believers. You know, I... We've gone through a real difficult time as a nation. And one of the things I'm really thankful for as we've gone through this past month, um, we've gone from COVID-19 to to uh, murder of George Floyd, and gone from there to violent protest. And, and uh, you know, I, I see, we've seen the issue of racism and prejudice um, in, in you know, Satan is trying to divide even the church on this issue. One of the things I'm very thankful for in our church, and you know, I asked you to pray for this, but I'm thankful that this, for our church, we've openly talked about it. We've talked about it. We've prayed about it. We've talked about it in prayer meetings. We watch videos together on it. Um, it it's, it's front and center. We've repented. We've prayed prayers of repentance, and Elder Doug's led us in that. But I want to share a prayer need with you for the church, the Big C Church, because every church isn't like our church, and our church isn't perfect, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, in some churches, uh, this issue has been taboo. Uh, some churches, some pastors can't bring this uh, to their leadership, can't bring it to their congregation. They don't want to deal with that issue. And, um, and, and, and I, you see, I see the enemy, Satan, trying to divide the body of Christ through this issue. So I want you to be, I put this out there, to just be honest with you and say, pray for the church, the BC church, that Satan would not be allowed to divide us on this issue, uh, the issues of racism and prejudice that would, that, that would be dealt with, and, and just help the leaders, pray for the pastors to be able to navigate uh, these situations in their churches. So pray encouragement for them. I'm gonna move on. Paul is telling us, that when we think about growth in the Christian life, unity ought to be the first thing on our minds. And in the last three verses of this passage, Paul again highlights the importance of unity by pointing to the reality that we are to base it on. Verses four through six say, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Only unity fits a real experience of who God is. Having just mentioned the Spirit in verse 3, now verse 4 speaks of how the Spirit's work in us should lead us to unity. And then we also see the Spirit's work in us is fundamentally one. In the second and third chapters of Ephesians, Jews and Gentiles are brought together in one body, the church. One body means that we belong to each other. I'll say that again. We belong to each other. In other words, what happened in chapter 3 is, is Paul points out that Jews and Gentiles, mortal enemies, they hated each other. We're now one in Christ. And so there, there can't be any prejudice anymore. They, they're all on the same playing field. They're all believers together. We are one, and this we, we belong to each other. In the same way that's, that's how it has to be in the body of Christ, we belong to each other. And the Lord, the Lord who we believe in, the Lord who we believe in and identify with is one. That's the other point that's there. The first chapter of Ephesians, each member of the Trinity makes a contribution to the salvation and the position of those in Christ. Each member of the Trinity. Paul moves from the Holy Spirit to Jesus the second person of the Trinity in this verse. And he, he is the Lord in whom we put our faith and with whom we identify in baptism. Lastly, we relate to the one, the, to the one insane father. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul writes this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the, his, his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, To this prayer, each member of the Trinity is mentioned, playing a part in the growth of believers. Having mentioned the Spirit in verse 4 and the Son in verse 5, Paul now mentions the Father. In four times in this verse, we see the word all as Paul tries to hammer home the message that believers are more related to one another than they ever realized. Like to close with the story of a mission trip that my family and I went on, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Um, decided to take my, my kids on a mission trip with us, and this was just after the crisis in Haiti, not too long after that. And really wanted to take my son uh, on this trip, uh, he was in grade school at the time. All of his sprints, I mean, I his fifth grade or sixth grade, they all had smartphones already. And he wanted, was asking for one, and I explained to him how he didn't really need it at that time. And you know, he, he just wanted what he wanted, wanted what all the other kids had. And so, I just felt like a need to, to, for him and for us to go on a mission trip together. And so we we were, we were trying to schedule a trip, but I couldn't find one for it would take him. And I called uh, David Howard with our state office. He works with disaster relief and he also organizes uh, mission teams and. He was open and said, I'll take them. I says, I, I grew up building churches with my dad on, on the mission field. He says, not only will I take your son and our, your daughter on this trip, I'm gonna put them to work. They're gonna be leading devotions, they're gonna be doing ministry, we'll, we'll support them uh, in that. But but they're gonna they're gonna be doing, they're gonna be working. And my my daughter at that time, Sarah, she really found her calling as a teacher. She led a BBS for, for 63 students. In, in a garage, and, and, and we supported her in that. She did a great job, and Matthew uh, did some things and worked and supported her as well, and led a devotion, and my, my kids grew. We grew as a family by leaps and bounds on that trip. But one of the things I wanna point out is that you know, we were there in a different country uh, with people that were there that were believers and spoke a different language, uh, different people, different language, but all knew Jesus. And we were family. We were one. We were one. And I don't know if, if you guys have experienced that, but you might go to a different country, a different place, and when you meet a believer, it's like you're just naturally family. What a blessing! What a blessing that is. And so I just thank the Lord for that. That we are one, as He is one. We are one together and one with Him. So as I close, I want to challenge you uh, to application. As I said, we, we want to do more than be hearers of the Word. We want to do You want to be doers of it. and So here's some application for you. First one, first point is put away pride by listening to others. I want to challenge you to be quick to listen, slow to speak in conversations that you have with people this week and in the coming weeks. I want to ask you also to ask the Lord to help you to be gentle in how you speak to others, especially those that had different views from you. Thirdly, I want to, want to challenge you to confess where you've fallen short and spoken harsh and hurtful words to others. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those situations to you. And when the Holy Spirit reveals them, apologize to the people you've hurt with your words. Words can do great damage. Um, so I just want to encourage you with those, with those thoughts. And recognize that the power and basis of unity that we have comes from Jesus. Relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. And so as I close, there are those of you that might be here today that, that aren't a part of our church and you're just listening in this morning and, and you might be saying to yourself, you know, I, I'd like to experience that unity. I look at the world behind me around me, and it's falling apart. People are fighting and fussing and, and so we have chaos in our country at this time and you, you want to experience that unity. And I, want to, I want to tell you how you can experience that unity. It's really simple. Lord says, Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the reality of, of it is, and all of us have learned this during this season, we are all sinners. We are all sinners. We, we sin by the things we do. We do sin by the things that we don't do that we ought to do. And so we have to get that straight and, and, and just be honest with the Lord and say, I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. I need your help. And then you need to know and you need to understand that Jesus came and, and God sent Jesus to die for your sins and for my sins. And he offers a free gift of, of, of salvation to all of us. Since it that salvation is by grace, grace, uh, not, and it's not by works, um, unless no one can boast. And so you can't earn your salvation. You can only receive your salvation. And that means receiving that gift through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you as I pray. And I, want to, I want to just pray with you right now uh, together. If we could bow our heads and pray this. And uh, if you're listening, you can pray this with me. Let's pray. If you want to receive Christ, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I can't save myself. Jesus, thank you for coming to die for my sins. And I ask you for the forgiveness of my sins. And Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I recognize that I can't save myself. And I ask you to save me and then to lead me. So I recognize you both as Savior and Lord of my life. And Lord, I ask you to lead my life, lead me moving forward from this day forth. I recognize you as Lord and Savior, the risen Lord and Help me to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really that simple. I pray that you've prayed that prayer with me. And if you have, I pray that you let us know in our church that you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that are believers and walking with the Lord uh, up down, I, I challenge us just to continue to work at this union. It's not something that's it just happens. It's not something that stays the same. It's not static. We have to continue to work at it, and we will continue to work at it um, moving forward. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and let Mike uh, lead us uh, in our closing song, and then after that, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to share with you about details of our next steps for our reopening plan. God bless you. Well, Let's sing. Just a closer walk. Just a closer walk with, with Thee. Grant to Jesus is my plea. it's a closer to Jesus is my plea